Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could never edit that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I'm all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. Today, author Cassie Hamer of books After the Party and the End of Cuthbert Close takes over the pod to chat to Vanessa McCausland. Vanessa has worked as a journalist for 17 years, including as a news and medical reporter and entertainment reporter. Today, Cassie and Vanessa chat about the Valley of Lost Stories. Hello, everyone. My name is Cassie Hamer and welcome to the Words and Nerds podcast episode with the lovely Vanessa McCausland. Vanessa, welcome to Words and Nerds. Hi, Cassie. Thank you so much for having me. It's so lovely to be chatting with you. Well, I have to thank Danny, really, because when she offered me the opportunity to talk to you, I absolutely jumped at it because I so loved the two books that you've written. But I really did want the opportunity to talk to you about your latest one, The Valley of Lost Stories. It's been described as Big Little Lies meets Picnic at Hanging Rock. And having read the book, I completely think that really sums it up. But can you tell us a little bit more about what the story is about. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's hard when you sort of put your book as being something that people already know, but a lot of people that have read it, their feedback has been that's such an accurate description. So I'm glad that we went with it. It just felt like natural that it, it is sort of a combination of both those things. So it does have the sort of the four women and their complex relationships um, and motherhood. And then it does have this real atmospheric sort of mystery at its heart. So it's the meeting of those two things. Um, so basically these four women and their children, um, they're invited to stay at this beautiful remote valley west of Sydney, the KPT Valley that's just over the Blue Mountains. And that's a real place. Um, and so, um, 
all that remains in this valley is um, the ruins of this burgeoning, once burgeoning um, shale oil mining town. Um, and it's just sort of a ghost town sinking into the bush. And um, there's also this gorgeous renovated hotel, Art Deco Hotel. And this is where the four women and their children stay for their week-long holiday. And they've sort of been thrown together. They don't know each other that well. And then they're in their, this very remote location. And it sort of starts to emerge that this is a place that's haunted by secrets. So in 1948, Clara Black walked into the night, never to be seen again. And as this valley sort of beguiles these women, um, their own secrets sort of rise to the surface. Um, Natalie is struggling with a damaged marriage. Um, Emmy is yearning for another child. Penn struggling with single parenthood. And Alexandra is hiding in the shadow of her famous husband. And so then um, as the sort of secrets unravel of what happened 70 years earlier, one of these four women also goes missing in the valley. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I would describe it as an atmospheric mystery. Um, it's about motherhood. It's about women's friendships. Um, it's about the, the complication of those, the, the beauty of those. Um, yeah, and then it's got this dual timeline happening. So it's looking mm. at how women, how women's lives were in the 1940s in remote Australia as well. Yeah, there is so much to unpack in all of that. So I want to go through a few of the things that you just talked about, one of which is that you have set in in a real location, which is the Capertee Valley. Was it on a visit to the valley that you got the idea for the story? And, and you mentioned that there's a real blurring of sort of fact and fiction. You mentioned um, Clara Black and the hotel. Were these um, real aspects of the Capertee Valley? So, yeah, what happened is I actually found this um, ghost town online. So I was actively looking for an amazing setting for my next book. Um, and so... I saw that there, there was this really remote valley um, and that it used to be home to, in the uh, from 1939 to 1952, this um, oil mine. And it had about 3,000 people living there at, at its height. Um, and I could see these pictures of just, it looked like the skeletons of this old industry. And I'm thinking, this looks really atmospheric. This looks cool. Um, and then there's this Art Deco hotel that's still standing and that was there right at, I think it was built in 1939 when the township was established. And then it's been restored and is, an, is a B&B essentially. So I dragged my mum and my daughter, who was about eight at the time, out on this road trip. And uh, at the time, um, the Lost Summers of Driftwood was just in the process, I think, of being edited. It hadn't even come out. And they're just like, why are you taking us here? <laughs> uh, because it's so remote. Like, you kind of go over the mountains, past Lithgow, and then you do this turn off and you're just driving on this dirt road for about half an hour. Um, and it's just bush. And you're thinking, is there anything out here? And then you kind of arrive at this gorgeous um like everything was very green as well it was drought at the time but the valley was like really verdant and then we just sort of arrived at this ramshackle 
sort of old town where, um, you know, everything was falling apart, but you could see it was once a main street of a town. Mm-hmm. And there were like old medicines dated from the 1950s still in the window. Um, it just hadn't been touched since then. And then we see sort of a bit further up this gorgeous hotel where we're staying. And I just, as soon as we got there, I was like, I have to set the story here. Um, And at the time, I hadn't thought to set a um, historical timeline as well. But when I got there, I was like, I want to know what the lives of these people was like. Um, So we stayed there and my daughter, um, she's quite sensitive like me. And she just was like, mommy, this is a really, really good place to set a book, but can we go home? Because I'm actually quite scared. <laughs> um, wow. The hotel, it's very beautiful, but it's really old. And she'd never stayed in somewhere that had that kind of old atmosphere. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, oh, can we just stay one night? <laughs> and my mum was there too. So we just plied her with lots of lollies and <laughs> <laughs> she made it. But um. Yeah, and I actually sent the book to the owners of the hotel just recently, and they just loved it. Um, oh, they what a like, relief. Yeah, um, they're like, oh, tell them they can make a Netflix series. <laughs> <laughs> they can use the hotel. I was oh. like, that would be good. <laughs> well, it's quite surprising in a way because when you describe it, I just think, of course it's a setting for a fabulous fiction novel like you've got this incredibly remote location and once you throw in four characters who are all dealing with something very difficult in their lives then you do have the recipe for an amazing book and you have briefly talked about how each of the woman women is facing significant challenges and just going over the book last night to prepare I was quite amazed at how much content you managed to pack into it. So, you know, the book touches on issues relating to women who have sort of substance abuse issues, infidelity, massive cracks in their marriage, uh, issues surrounding and questions surrounding their uh, sexuality. Um, how did you how did you possibly do all of that? Because I know that you're a mum, but you have the experience of parenting one child, but in this you managed to capture four very different experiences of motherhood and parenting. That must have been a huge challenge to sort of do justice to all those women's experiences. Yeah, oh, thanks for saying that. Um Yeah, I think it was just a matter of, I mean, I'm a listener, you know, like I have a lot of mum friends and while none of these characters, of course, are based on any of my friends, I think I've, over the past 10 years of mothering, just sort of um, Bowerbird collected little anecdotes, things that people have told me, challenges that they've had, um, as well as working for a parenting website and reading constantly about women's struggles, challenges of motherhood. Um, And I think one of the big themes in the book is that um, friction between women wanting to give everything to their family but keep something for themselves. Mm. Um, And 
I'm really interested in that. Um, and that's something I think I explored in the contemporary storyline and in the historical storyline. Um, and I kind of, um, I mean, there's a, yeah, there is a lot in there, um, but I think that was sort of probably the driving factor in some senses. And then, yeah, just the way that women um, cope, I guess, because so many of us in this contemporary world are just stretched to the limit and um, perhaps a bit less so maybe after COVID when things quietened down a little bit, but up until that point when I was writing, everyone's scrambling so hard. Everyone's got measuring themselves against social media and what is looking beautiful and expected. And I guess I just wanted uh, to explore some of those issues and maybe work through a way to find a path through all those challenges. Mm. And in a way, I mean, I think the path is other women and the support that we give each other um, because we're so critical of ourselves and we put our friends on these pedestals but I think something that's explored in the book is that we're all actually struggling mm -hmm. below the surface mm -hmm. um, and no one's life is perfect and um, yeah so I just wanted to explore some of those issues. Yeah it's I've, I've read somewhere in one of the many writing books that I've digested that characters tend to be one-third imagination, one-third sort of based on someone you know and one-third yourself uh, and the experiences mm. that you bring. Would, would you agree with that or do you formulate your characters in it a, a different way? Um, no, that sounds about right. I mean, my characters come in a very organic way. I don't know how they come. I don't tend to write character studies before I start writing. I know some authors do. Um, sometimes I have a vague idea, but I tend to write into the story and I, I just follow a thread, a very vague thread of a character and it sort of reveals itself through the writing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, I feel like with me, a lot of my characters are very, come from a very unconscious place. So that would make sense that some of it's people you've talked to, some of it's yourself, some of it's your imagination. Um, yeah, it's, you d I don't know where my characters come from. I mean, it was really interesting with this, with the historical timeline, there's a character who's leading that called Jean. And um, when I, I found, I ordered online this beautiful antique book, which was all about the history of the valley. It was really the only place I could find any reliable history because online there was very little written. Mm. Um, and I'd written her character or almost all of her character, but then I was sort of filling out things, um, anecdotes about the way women lived in the valley through this real research. And I found that one of the first women to come to the valley was named Jean. Um, and it was just one of those real spine tingling moments of like, really? Are you serious? Like the first woman to come to the valley is the woman's name that I have conjured out of the ether. Mm. It was just one of those like, yeah, and, and given there's like a, a ghost in this story too, I just went, wow, um, you know, not that I think that that's really what's going on, but, yeah, it's kind of weird when that sort of thing happens. I don't know. I, I do think the subconscious has incredible power that we have no 
obvious conscious understanding of and that um you know that even when you're not sitting at the computer tapping out the words your brain when you're away from the computer is still working on the story and you might be you know I often have this experience where I'm going for a walk in the park thinking about something completely different and an idea for the story will pop into my head and I read in another interview that you did that um you're not a person who necessarily writes every day and that you need substantial chunks of time to devote, you know, like two to three hours, which is which is quite similar, I would say, to what I do. But can you talk through mm. what is your process? Do you sit down with um, an outline? Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? Do you have a word count each day? Or like what's the day-to-day reality of trying to write this book? Yeah, um, I'm quite wafty, <laughs> um, as in I um, definitely I would say I'm a pantser um, and I feel like sometimes when I'm writing a book, it's kind of like I'm reading a book where um, I think if I knew exactly how it was all going to play out, I wouldn't kind of have the excitement and energy to keep going. Because as you know, it's such a long journey and sometimes you're just so bogged down in it and you're just like, oh, and I kind of like I'm the sort of person that never watches movies twice, never reads books twice or very rarely. Um, I love the the newness and so I think I just have to be a pantser because I love that moment where you sort of have an idea of what you think is going to happen and then the characters do something completely different but that totally makes sense and that you just get this whole body tingle and you're just like, that single moment is why I write. Like, mm. that was so cool how my character just told me that that's what they were going to do. Mm. Um, so that's, for me, the, the magic of writing, I think. Mm. Um but having said that, I would like to have more of a structure. Every time I sort of start a book, I think, right, I'm going to structure this. <laughs> and it never happens. Um, I think I just sit down in a very free space, like writing in my journal. Like I've just finished my next book. And so now my brain's probably subconsciously feeling out some new ideas and so if when I'm writing in my journal something happens to come through I'll, I'll just write that down but I don't put any pressure on myself because I feel like that um, really um, I don't know it doesn't work it, it makes me nervous and scared and then I freak out and think oh, I can't write another book no 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 um, so I just sort of do it gently um, and in terms of the writing yeah I think I have to have a couple of hours free like I just am so in awe of these authors that um you know at their kids netball game and they've got their laptop and they're writing like I just I can't do that um it's like I sort of have to kind of go into a different realm um and I need space to just sit there for like a whole minute just staring out the window going wow this isn't working, what am I, you know, <laughs> like, you know, I just, otherwise I would feel, I, I take the pressure off myself, I guess, is what I'm saying, mm. as much as I can, so that I can just 
let my writing be free rather than letting the fear and the constraints and all of that come in. Um, mm. Like if I write um, a thousand words a day in, in a day, I'm happy. I, I'm not a massively fast writer. Um, and do you edit I, as you go or is that a thousand yeah. careful good words that are unlikely to change much in subsequent yeah. drafts? Okay, yeah. Right. So okay. when I've got when I've got my draft, my when I press, you know, right at the end, that's almost exactly what will get published. As in, wow. obviously, there's massive edits to come. Yeah. But I will do another read through, and I'll be taking out all the notes I've written to myself, and I'll be doing a spell check, and I'll be like, you know, doing that whole does this person's name change three times, you know, the sequencing of everything. And then I'll do one more read and then it will go to my agent, publisher, mm. whatever. Um, so, and don't get me wrong, after that there's massive structural edits. Yeah. But I, every time I go back to the story, I read through what I wrote the day before. Mm. Um, okay. To get you in that headspace again yeah. and, and get you so back I, into the story. It gets me back in and I also then remember where I'm at and um, and also when I'm writing the book, say when I'm about maybe a third of the way through, halfway through, a third of the way through, I'll go back and read from the start mm -hmm. and go, oh, okay, yep, this is how things, like I, I feel like at the beginning my characters aren't as solid because mm -hmm. I'm exploring them in the writing. Yeah. So I need to do that to go and sort of solidify out my characters at the start because I know them much better by the middle. Um, it's such, such an interesting process. I mean, it, it sounds so sort of free and, and, and I'm wondering though when you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, so my character is going to do A, B or C next, do you think it's your sort of muscle memory of your deep knowledge of story and, and all the books that you've written before and your sort of instinctive understanding of story that helps you decide where that character's going to go next? Or are you making more conscious decisions than that? Like, like have you analysed sort of your process in that way or...? Yeah, because I listen to a lot of writing podcasts like this one and I love hearing other writers' processes and, yeah, and, and through that I've kind of come to realise that I think I work in a quite um, unconscious way in a way. I'm really being led by instinct um, and I'm a very intuitive person by nature and so I think that is what really serves me well in the writing of stories mm. um and it's just that yeah trusting that somehow you I can feel when I need to tighten the tension like mm. I don't think I'm kind of consciously thinking oh I need this to happen it's just that um maybe in my unconscious mind it's going okay you need to ramp things up here and so the next thing the character does will be something more surprising or mm. you know um, it'll take things in a different direction to be honest I think and Cassie you've had this too all my um, many years working as a journalist writing um, news stories I think that is just as much as the reading 
over many years is the thing that um, instinctually I know that I have to keep the reader's attention. Mm. So as a newspaper journalist, you've got that, um, you know, that thing of the first line of your newspaper story is has to be the grab, you know, and then it's the pyramid structure. So then, you know, the, the less interesting stuff goes after mm. that because no one ever gets to the end of a newspaper article, you know. And so I think um, over the years, um, you know, having new sense, knowing what interests, what um, fascinates people, what um, the morbid fascination, you know, with um, with media and, and what's happening, you know, like people say they don't like to read the media, but we're all so wired we're narrative beings we're wired to want to know about what happens in a story and even when it's negative sometimes more so when it's negative and I don't understand why we're like that but I think I can bring that um understanding into writing fiction Mm. um yeah I think yeah I think that's absolutely true what you say that having a journalism background and there are so many journalists who are fiction writers does definitely help inform structure. But I think the one big difference is that in journalism, you're constantly trying to conceal yourself and your own opinions and your own values and and tell a story very objectively. Whereas in fiction, you're actually trying to unpick all of those layers and really deeply expose yourself and your characters Mm -hmm. and be as vulnerable as you can. And so it's so interesting to me that you um, have had a career or have a career in journalism. You have your fiction writing, but you also have a great love of poetry. And they are three very different modes of writing. And during the pandemic, you were writing quite a bit of poetry and putting it on Instagram, which was lovely. But I'm just wondering, as someone who has feels totally incapable of writing poetry, what's the secret? How do you, how does one approach poetry? Is it just translating feeling into words or yeah, capturing a moment? Is. Or like how do you, what's your thinking when you sit down to write a poem? Oh, look, I mean, I think I studied poetry at uni and I just loved it. Like I did one of my major things on poetry. And I think, um, you know, for me, I'm such an emotional and I'm such a wordy person. <laughs> the two just go together so well. So, you know, I if I'm struggling with something in my life, sometimes, like I journal a lot, but sometimes I'll literally open my journal and a poem will just flow out of me. And it's very um, bad, <laughs> usually. <laughs> um, but... It's just a real purging of emotion, I think. Um, But also just that with poetry, I just think it's so much about the beauty of words. And I I love words. Like I just Mm. love how they're constructed. I love the meanings behind them. I just, in poetry, I feel like you really are reveling in the beauty of words. Mm. And so that allows me to do that and just the sound of language as well I think is a really big thing for me I can't ever write poetry or fiction with music on because I feel like the the words have a sort of musicality in my head when I'm writing them and I've never really talked about that with anyone but then my daughter who's 
just turned 11, she loves language and writing. And we were discussing that. And she said um, she feels the same way. Um, and she writes poetry at 10. Isn't that it's exactly. so, yeah, it's so interesting because what one of the things I do love about your books is the lyricism of the language. And I just wanted to read a short oh, um, sample from, this is from the book and it's taken from a section where one of the women has just arrived at the hotel and she's um, just describing what's in the garden. So I'll just read a few lines. Crepe myrtle trees flaunted pale pink and white blooms. Urns overflowed with lavender and wild rose vines crept and weaved knotty tendrils up walls and over statues. There was a bank of fledgling citrus trees and the smell of tart fruit was intoxicating. Natalie crushed a sprig of rosemary between her fingers and held it to her nose. Statues of women in languorous repose surrounded a fountain at the garden's heart. I mean, it's just so beautiful. I could go on and on, but my reading is nowhere Aww, good as the you. actual um, uh, audio book, I, I suspect. But I can see in that that you, you're capturing sight, sound, smell, like you're engaging all of the senses and you're very much a writer who does plunge the reader into a full sensory experience. And, and I take from that that that's something that's very important to you as a writer. Oh, thanks, Cassie. Yeah, um, I think I think creativity is quite sensual. I think that's how I see it, that it's not sort of, um, you know, just writing or, you know, like it's this, it, I don't know, it's really hard to articulate, but it's the smell of something. It's the, the texture of something. It's, um, you know, I love to describe those things, um, I suppose that's the stuff that sometimes my editor's like, okay, can we take all this out? <laughs> um, too much, I, too much. But it's, it's just about immersing the reader in the experience and taking them away to a completely different place so that the, the world they're in just falls away, which is the joy of reading really, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the yeah. escape. I think that's how I like to read as well. I like to be in a world and I love to feel that, you know, when you feel that pull back to a book, mm. that you feel you're pulled back to an entire world. It's not just a cerebral place. It's a sensual, full body sort of place. Mm. Um, so I think I kind of just am maybe replicating that in my writing because I would say, yeah, that they're the books that I'm drawn to reading mm. myself. And yeah. so just on that, who would you name as your favorite authors to read? I knew you were going to ask me Sorry, that. I hate and this I, question I, too because you, you know now have hundreds of them and then when you're put on the, the spot, your brain just blanks. I know. Oh, it's so hard because I think I'm quite a... Um, I don't have a loyalty to sort of any particular authors. I, I read very widely from high literature to sort of, you know, chiclet and fun stuff and everything in between. Um, I sort of think of my reading more in terms of books than authors, like, um, you know, books I've read recently that have rocked me um, have been Honeybee, you know. Mm. Um, I love The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart, um, you know, 
the way Holly writes is with such sensuality. Um, I've always loved Tim Winton. You know, studying him at school just got me so inspired about writing, just the way he describes place and the natural world. Um, and, you know, Margaret Atwood, I read just tirelessly when I was, you know, in my 20s um, and just loved all her books. Um, and, you know, and like books that have changed my life, like A Little Life, that oh, really thick oh, book that I can't yeah. pronounce oh. the author's name. But um, that was one of the hardest, most awful reading experiences, but at the same time, it's one of the best things I've ever yeah. read and I'll never yeah. forget it. Yeah, so that, that book. I'm, yeah, that book totally destroyed me, and it took me about a year to get over it and actually enjoy another book because everything I just compared it to that book, and it is a really tough read, but a good one. But it was interesting what you were saying about reading across genre because the first book that you actually had published was um, many years ago, and in a sort of completely well, not completely different, but in a different genre, sort of more in the chick lit sort of yeah. area and then you had quite a gap between that novel and the lost summers of driftwood and i'm just what, mm. wondering what what happened in that time was it just a case where you or why the genre change i suppose was it just a case yeah. of maturing and actually finding your natural voice or your natural home in fiction yeah i think so yeah so that first book um, I published um, in probably about, oh, what was it, maybe 2015. Um, and that was based on, that was under a different name and that was based on my experience at the time being an entertainment reporter. Um, and I went on maternity leave from my job and I just had the most fabulous job for the last couple of years. And I just think I was, I had... Um, Time, well, I didn't have time because I had a young child, but um, I had time to sort of space to think differently. And um, that just kind of poured out of me. And that was me processing, having interviewed celebrities and had this incredible job of flying around the world on travel stories. And, and that was, yeah, me processing that time, I think. And, you know, it was a really fun book to write and it was really exciting because it, straight away got, you know, there was a bidding war and Penguin bought it and, you know, I had a two-book deal. It was really exciting. Um, and then um, it was at the time when Penguin and Random House were merging and I think it just slipped through the cracks. Um, and so it just didn't kind of go anywhere. And um, I just felt after that, okay, well, that was my book. I've written my book and um, now I'm just going to get on with my life. Um and, and then it wasn't really until um, I left my job again and switched, switched things up that um, my husband just said, why don't you take a year off and try and write another book? And I was like, don't be ridiculous. <laughs> um, but then we just moved houses and we were living, we're living in a house that sort of, we went from a unit to um, a place with a garden and my office overlooks greenery. And I just thought, okay, well, I guess I could just try writing something. Um, and I think a totally different voice came out. I was at a different place in my life. I wasn't mm. chasing celebrities. I didn't have a job. Um, and, yeah, it was just a completely different 
style of writing. But if I look back, you mentioned my poetry. Um, I think these books that I'm writing now are more akin to that sort of poetry voice, the lyricism mm. of that, than what the chick lit one was. Because um, mm. I feel like I'm kind of, I have my journalism persona and then I have my creative writing persona and they're quite different. Mm. Um, my journalism persona has to be, you know, switched on, a bit hard-nosed, whatever, confident. And then my persona, my fiction writing who and who I am is very shy and very sensitive and very, um, like, nerdish. <laughs> and so maybe it was just going into more who I actually am. Mm. Um, and I've heard you talk about writing your voice as well, Cassia. I was mm. listening to you talk to someone um and you were saying that you had to find your voice as well and and just the process in doing that and it's not always the voice that you think that you're going to have um but I think you've got to listen when a publisher the HarperCollins actually said to me so this is, is your voice now so if you go on to publish with us can you kind of stay in this voice and I was like yeah, I think I can yeah. um, because obviously I can do the chiclet voice, but then I don't think that that was quite right. Um, I think this fits better with where with I am. With who at. you are, something that you can mm. sustain. Just as a final question, I suppose, what do you want readers to take away from your book, The Valley of Lost Stories? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think my book's... They do go to dark places, um, but I think there's always light at the end of my books. I think there's hope. And I guess um, that's so hard. I guess I just want to take them away into another world for a little while to give them some escapism, but also to really, I think with the characters I create, I want people to understand that they're not alone with things, that everyone struggles, um, that, um, you know, fiction is a way for us to connect, isn't it? Like to really have empathy for other people um, and just an understanding that, yeah, you're not alone, that everyone's struggling, but that there is still beauty in life and you can kind of get through it, you know? <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, I think yeah. that's. I think we do write and read fiction to feel less about less alone, and also to learn how to navigate the world. I think now, Vanessa, I could have asked you so many more things. I know that you're working on a book that uh, has a Tasmanian setting, which is so exciting, and and hopefully, I guess we'll see that next year. But I just want to thank you for your time today, and thank you again for that beautiful book. Oh, thank you so much, Cassie. I really appreciate you chatting to me.